0: Let me pray for us, then we'll get started. Our heavenly Father, we thank you that again this morning we we uh, come to you. We come to your holy word, Father. I pray that you would give me words to speak this morning, and you would give those here here, uh, that are listening, who are listening ears to hear. We praise you and thank you this morning in Christ's name. Amen. If you could turn to Hebrews 10. And as you're doing so, I just want to welcome you again to Grace Bible Church. Thankful that you are here. I am thankful that I'm back in the pulpit. Um, yesterday I had a. I ended up Working two jobs, uh, I was I was preparing the sermon as well as working to um, my other job, and so I was bouncing back and forth. I hope that that I know the Lord will bless uh, this time this morning. But uh, just I'm thankful for the prayers of the saints as I as I was going through my day yesterday. Well, we started this series. Uh, two, two, three weeks ago. Uh, this is part of our summer series. We're taking a break from the book of Ephesians. And we, this morning, will continue uh, our part two of why you need to be a member, a member of the church, uh, the local church. Uh, let me say before I get started this morning that we're going to spend a great amount of time uh, on introductory matters, so don't uh, don't despair. Uh, the last two points is what we're going to hit of this outline that I have, in, that you have in your bulletin. Uh, don't despair because they go pretty quickly. Uh, but I have a lot of things on my heart and on my mind that I want to share with you this morning. So let's let's get started. Let's read Hebrews 10, 19 through twenty five. Therefore, brethren. Shannon wrote the following message on Instagram. That's what they said. We're writing to share the news that we are separating and will continue life together as friends. In recent years, significant changes have taken place in both of us. It is with sincere love for one another and understanding of our unique story as a couple that we are moving forward with this decision. We hope to create a generous and supportive future for each other and for our three amazing children in the years ahead. Thank you for understanding, or your understanding, and for respecting our privacy during a difficult time. Beloved, revelations like these, when they come to light, should shock our senses. In this case, Josh and Shannon Harris posted a picture on social media of them together, standing together, to tell the world that they were no longer together. I find that tragically fascinating, that we put our best face on social media media to announce to the world that we're doing well even when our circumstances scream otherwise. Recently, Angie and I endured the, the news of a divorce of someone near and dear to us, in our case, the, it didn't take us completely by surprise because the person never bought into the sanctity of marriage, but, but it was shocking, shocking that this person was willing to throw away over 20 years of their life, 20 years, as if it didn't matter. In Josh Harris's case, it's even more shock, shocking because he had been a pastor of a very large, visible church prominent church he preached he preached the sanctity of marriage he believed in the sanctity of marriage he even authored a book he authored several books but he authored a book by the name of i kissed G- dating goodbye this book was written to extol the virtues of courtship for the purpose of marriage and to avoid the worldly dating scene and in the book he emphasized that christians should not date or even kiss before marriage and the book was hugely popular in our circles, in evangelical circles. And uh, the, the argument, the book's argument, was taken even further than what he meant. According to Al Mohler, he says this, The pushback against the dating culture grew radical, and many evangelicals reveled in the radicalism of the moment. In Josh's own words from a couple of years back, he said this, the book gave some the impression that a certain methodology of relationships would deliver a happy ever-after ending, a great marriage, a great sex life, even though this is not promised by Scripture. In other words, if you go by this formula, then you will by all means have a great marriage. Now some of you, including myself, have been, may have been influenced by this book which he wrote when he was only 19. Let that sink in. Staggering that the same man who wrote a book, which spurred a major purity movement within evangelicalism, would separate from his wife. And and their plan is, my understanding, is to get a divorce. But Joshua Harris was not finished with his stunning revelations. Just last week, he posted this on Instagram. The information that was left out of our announcement is that I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me that there are is a different way to practice faith, and I want to remain open to this, but I'm not there now. End quote. Beloved, I hope that you join with me in being incredibly saddened by this announcement. This is what Al Mohler had to say about this particular part of the announcement, and I agree with him. He says this, Those are absolutely stunning words. They would be stunning and incredibly troubling coming from anyone. But from the former pastor of a megachurch and from someone who has had a very significant influence in the evangelical world, this is truly a milestone event. It also demands a good deal of thinking and a very honest reflection on the part of American evangelicals." Now, when we look at this from a theological standpoint, there are two possible answers for this. Either Joshua Harris is God's son, and he will return. He, either he's truly saved, and he will return. Or he was never the Lord's, and will never return. The Apostle John says this in 1 John 2.19, They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are not of us. Now, I certainly don't want to be callous at any level. I, this saddens me. I've struggled with it all week. This fact does not take away from the fact that one from our midst has fallen away. We should be incredibly saddened by this, beloved. But Josh, well, let me just, he went on to say this in his second post. Said this, repenting of his self righteousness, or my self righteousness, my, my fear based approach to life, the teaching of my books, my views of women in the church, and my approach to parenting, to name a few. But I specifically want to add this to the list now. To the LGBTQ community, I want to say that I am sorry for the views that I taught in my books and as a pastor regarding sexuality. Stop right there for a second and think about that. He goes on to say, I regret standing against marriage equality for not affirming you and your place in the church and for any ways that my writing and speaking contributed to a culture of exclusion and bigotry. I hope you can forgive me, end quote. These subjects that he brings up, beloved, happen to be at the top of the list of current cultural hot-button issues, right? I mean, let's, let's just be honest. I don't know Josh's heart. I don't know where he stands, but, I, well, I do know, because he makes it clear, though, he makes it clear that he now agrees with our culture on each of these topics. He stands with our culture on each of these topics, It doesn't take much of a a jump then for us to conclude that immense pressure has been applied to to Josh's heart concerning these things. So he's been under immense pressure thinking through these things. And I can't say whether this pressure has come from within or without or from the outside, but I do know that he has felt an immense burden regarding these hot-button issues. And I think that's important for us to understand. Because we live in a culture that it goes against everything that Christianity stands for. And we're all going to face these pressures. We're all going to be pressured to capitulate or cave in these areas. We're all going, let me say it this way we're all going to be pressured to to deconstruct the premises of Christianity in our hearts. Now, Josh Joshua Harris, what he did is he saw that Christianity and the culture didn't mix. And he stepped out. He said, I don't want any more of Christianity because I see it doesn't mix. Some people are trying to make it mix. But it doesn't mix. A few months ago, when the story of Paige Patterson, the seminary, President, who was forced to step down from his position due to accusations that he mishandled a sexual abuse case. We talked about that. I brought it up a couple of times. And I said at that point that we're going to see these things accelerate, That, that they would hit closer and closer to home, that we're going to see these accusations fly, and we're going to see people pressured. And beloved, I think we're seeing this come true. I think we're seeing this come to fruition men and women are feeling the pressure to take a stand on these cultural topics and here's the thing you're not going to remain be able to remain neutral you're not going to be able to to remain in the middle we're seeing some fall away into apostasy and we're seeing more and more as the as this and we'll see more and more as this revelation a revolution continues As I said earlier, some will come to see that Christianity is not compatible with the spirit of the age, and they will renew their commitment to Christ. And my prayer is, is that each one of us here will do so. But some will recognize the same thing, and they're going to fall away. There's no room in the middle, beloved. In the past, or even today, to a certain degree, you could stay hidden in the middle without full commitment to the church, without full commitment to the teachings of the church, the teaching of the Word of God. You could partake in the, the blessings of the church. As the writer of Hebrews puts it, you can taste the heavenly gift and taste the goodness of the Word of God without full commitment to Christ in this church. In today's church, up until now, you could have it both ways. You could live a worldly life and still be in the church. At least that's the message that many will have you believe. I don't teach that. The Bible doesn't teach that. I want to be clear that, that Bible, the Bible does not teach that. But there are people that that's their message. But I'm telling you, the world will not stop at just saying, it's okay, or I'm just going to stay in the middle. The world is going to force you to make a choice. Beloved God is not unaware of the pressures we're facing. Turn to Hebrews 2. You, we were in Hebrews 10, I read. <clears throat> uh, and I want you to know this actually does fit with membership. Sometimes the Lord gives us powerful illustrations. As you turn there, I want to give you a little background to Hebrews. the author of Hebrews is writing to encourage his brethren. He, they, they've turned to Christ from their Judaism, their way of life, and, and now they're being pressured to turn from Christ and return back to their normal way of life, or their former way of life, that is. Look in Hebrews 2.1. He says this, For this reason we must pay close attention closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from... From it. Now, I want you to remember this verse as we progress. See, beloved, we're all in danger of falling away unless we pay close attention to the truths of the Word of God. The answer, the answer to all of this is that we need to go further and deeper into God's Word. We need to understand and go further and deeper into theology so that we have a strong foundation to withstand the pressures of this culture. Look at verse 2. For if the word spoken through the angels proved unalterable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them, both signs and wonders, and by various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. In other words, Christ had miraculously saved them. He had saved them from from their way of life. He had miraculously saved them. And He had proven to be much greater than anything they ever knew from their old way of life. And the writer is reminding them that the words of the apostles and the prophets were accompanied by miracles... And were attested by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In other words, God bore witness to what the prophets and the apostles had said through signs and wonders performed by His apostles and prophets. They would speak the word of God, and then they, those, that word of God would be accompanied by great miracles. And that was God's way of bearing witness that these men were truly of Him. Therefore, the writers saying, "How can they expect? How can they expect to escape?" retribution if they turn their back on him on him you see what I'm saying you see what what's being said here they knew the truth they understood the truth and it had been attested to them and now they were in danger of falling away from the truth and he wanted to remind them that they need to pay, pay, pay closer attention to what they have heard and remember stir up and remember what had been taught. Now, as we move through the chapters of Hebrews, we're going to go quickly through the chapters here. We'll see a series of passages which warn of the dangers of falling away, of apostasy. Look at Hebrews 3.12. It says this, Take care, brethren, that there not be any any, any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. As you see, the warning of there's a warning here of falling away. The the writer of Hebrews says that it is man's evil and unbelieving heart which leads the man or woman to fall away from the Lord. Keep going, in verse thirteen. But exhort, but encourage one another day after day as long as as it is called today, so that none of you will be hardened by The deceitfulness of sin. Now, this verse begins to hit on our theme of church membership. You see, we're called to exhort one another every day. Now, it doesn't take much of a jump to say, then, if we're going to do this, we need to be committed to one another. We cannot live separately from one another and expect that we'll be exhorted or expect that we will exhort anyone. We must must be in close proximity to know each other. We we can't expect to go to church for a couple of hours every other week and expect that we even know each other, much less have the ability to speak into each other's lives. There has to be a level of commitment. Beloved, it is imperative then that we are committed to the body of Christ. Turn over to Hebrews 6.4. Again, a warning passage says, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to restore them to repentance or to renew them again to repentance. Stop right there. Now, I don't have a time to unpack these verses, but I'm just going to be straight with you that, that he's talking about someone who has claimed to be a Christian. They've made the claim that they're Christian. They have tasted the heavenly gift. They have, they have partaken in the Holy Spirit. In other words, they have benefited in His presence in some way. They have been among God's people and have profited from the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yet these people are not truly His. They are tares among the wheat. Now I think of Josh Harris when I, when I see this, and I pray that again that he returns. My heart goes out to him and his family, but if he does not, we can say that he benefited during his time in the church But if he does not return, then he was never truly a Christian. Let me tell you something else. And this is scary, truly. Causes me great fear. If a man or woman goes out and speaks against Christ and the church, causing others to fall away, then it is impossible for them to be renewed to repentance. since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. You see, the writer of Hebrews warns the people that they must never renounce Christ, turning back to their old way of life. And if they do, and they hold Him up to contempt, they cannot expect that they would ever be restored. It's interesting to me, fascinating, that most who fall away don't just leave it a private and personal thing. Have you ever noticed that? They become, they, they, they become determined to trumpet to the world that they've come to see the error of their way. They become an evangelist of sorts for those who are wavering and i think they harden their hearts toward god and the things of god and i think that god hardens their hearts when they do so one person said this past week i was reading some comments on an article about joshua harris and one person said that they had also fallen away and he was he was thankful that he had seen the light that he was that he had understood now you know, more more about the world. He said that there are many former fundamentalists, is what he said, who have awakened from the horror of their fundamentalist lifestyle. You know what he's saying there? What he's saying is, is that the world is saying that it's okay to do all these things, right? Uh, the, it's okay to have a, a, a homosexual lifestyle. It's okay to, to be transsexual. It's okay to do all these things. It's okay to have a, a promiscuous lifestyle. Who are we to Who are we to judge, right? Have you heard? You've heard that. Well, he's saying that these people are seeing the horror of their fundamentalist lifestyle and have begun to de- deconstruct their faith. Even former pastors and seminary professors. That's a terrifying comment. It's a terrifying comment. What is the answer to all this then? If you look at Hebrews 10, the writer of Hebrews gives us the answer. I I hope as we go through this you see the connection, you will see the connection to church membership and why I believe that it's important for us to be members of the local body. Look at verse 23. The writer of Hebrews says, "...let us hold fast the confession..." Read it here. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast uh, sorry, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now let me give you four quick ways from these verses to protect each other. As I as, I, as the church, that is, goes through what I believe could be a great time of falling away. As these pressures increase, as people begin to see that Christianity is not compatible with the culture, there's going to be those who, who are committed to Christ. And they're going to step up their committed, commitment to Christ, and I pray that that's you. But there's going to be those who fall away who say, I can't do this. I can't make these things go together. It's a, it's a round peg in a square hole, or whatever it is that we say. Let me give you four quick ways. First, cling to what, it, what you know is true. Beloved, you must keep reminding yourself of the goodness of God. Persecution will come because all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But God is faithful. Temptations abound. But God is faithful to provide you an escape. We can trust in God's promises because God's promises are reliable. We can hold fast to our salvation, our hope in Christ, because we, in doing so, we, when we do so, when we hold fast in our, to our salvation, when we hold fast to our hope in Christ, we gain confidence and it helps us to persevere. So, so first, first, cling to what you know is true. Meditate on the truth. Be in the word of God. Be in prayer. Secondly, trust in the faithfulness of God. Brethren, if you find yourself struggling, then you must meditate on God's faithfulness. Study His Word to see His faithfulness. Why do you think the psalmists so often look back at God's mighty deeds? Why do you think that they do that? They do it to remind themselves and others of what God has done. Thus, they remind themselves that they can trust in the future faithfulness of God. Because the God who has been faithful in the past will by all means be faithful in the future. And if we, fo- if we are able to focus on what God has done, then we can, be tru- we can trust what God will do. You can look back on your own life and see the hand of God in every action. You can see the love of God as He's faithfully guided you. Remember remember your salvation. Remember what it was like as an unbeliever coming to know the Lord and your, your eyes were open to salvation. Third, incite your fellow believer to love and good deeds. Incite your fellow believer to love and good deeds. Beloved, we're made for community. God has not made us to be loners. And just this past week I saw a video, it was a short video, of a group of Amish who showed up at the appointed time and they moved an entire metal barn from one place to another in one piece. And it was a large barn. <coughs> they were like little ants carrying a slice of apple. They even turned it 90 degrees. I mean, it was, it was amazing. And it took just, just a few minutes and then they all dispersed and they were back to their normal jobs. You can look it up on, on YouTube. I mean, usually you talk about community. God has made us to have community. It's amazing to me, then, that in this Hebrews 10 passage, that the, the Greek word translated stir up or stimulate actually means to rouse to activity or provoke. It can also mean the state of irritation expressed in an argument. You know when you get in an argument with someone and you're irritated by it? You don't like it? That's this, this word. I mean, it, it's, this is not a passive word. We're not to be passive in our interactions with one another, and we may even be irritating at times. You know, we should think of teenage boys, right, fighting one minute and friends the next. I'm not saying we need to fight, but I am saying that sometimes when we we get into one another's lives, it's not going to be enjoyable, but it's necessary. We protect ourselves and others when we love and serve one another and we build one another up in the faith. And we protect ourselves when we stimulate or even incite our brothers and sisters to love and good deeds. And they're doing the same for us. Fourth, fourth way to protect yourself from falling away is gather with one another. Gather. Beloved, you need to be a Christian. You need to be a Christian. Stop there. No, you need to be a Christian who doesn't generally miss a gathering. You need to be a Christian who comes and gathers with the believers in in, in the church. I know at times we miss. And I don't want to be legalistic about it. But you need to purpose your lives around being with the saints, around gathering with believers. This necessarily includes going to church on Sunday, but it also includes showing up early to help and serve, and staying late to have fellowship with others in the body. It also includes regular contact with other believers. It's, it's both sanctioned events, the, the, the events that we've scheduled as a church, and unsanctioned, where you get together and have just regular contact with people. Have, have a meal with them. Preferably... preferably We would make it our aim to have regular contact with other believers, but we'd also make it our aim to spend time with members of this body. You can spend, yes, spend time with other Christians, but we need to be committed to spending time with the local body of Christ. Don't make it a habit to stay away from the body of Christ. You know, many Christians work from jobs which separate them from the body, then they miss a Sunday. Maybe they didn't feel like coming, and then the next Sunday rolls around and they miss again. Maybe that was legitimate. But sometimes in that midst of all this, discouragement sets in. Right? Has that ever happened to you? Discouragement sets in. And then you, and then you don't come the next Sunday. And then you get more discouraged. Maybe something bad happens in the family, or something bad happens at, at work. And even more discouraged. Or maybe you read something on the internet that, that has you down. One or two Sundays turns into many sundays See the danger? Beloved, this is dangerous business. Don't forsake the gathering. Fifth, exhorting and encourage one another. This follows from the last one. We must have regular gatherings to connect with one another and encourage one another. You see, we all need exhortation and encouragement. Beloved, this is a cruel world that we live in. You know, most of you know probably the last twenty-four hours there have been two, two mass shootings. I was telling Brother Ricky this morning. I was telling him that when I was a kid, there was a shooting at McDonald's in in California, and it was on the news for days. You know, just going and just looking at. Nowadays, we forget in three or four days, five days, the news cycle has moved on. They're they're on to something else, and and. We've become so desensitized to our culture and what's going on in our culture, which, well, we become desensitized. Paradoxically, though, we glimpse the goodness of God in our world, right? The, this glimpse, beloved, is a foretaste of the future. It's a foretaste of our future with Christ when, we, when we'll experience the fullness of Him. But today, the, these glimpses are obscured by, of God's goodness are obscured by the evil around us. We need to exhort and encourage one another so that we won't become discouraged by this world. So that we won't fall to discouragement. The, the you read the headlines and you see suicide rates, especially among young people, is just skyrocketing. I don't mean to, to make things worse, I don't mean to, be, to make things worse than they are. I, I don't. But we live in a terrible world that's fallen. Yes, we see a glimpse of the goodness of God, but, but the evil is overcoming. Thankfully, we serve a God who has promised that He wins, right? The writer of Hebrews ends this section by giving yet another warning. In verse 26 he says this For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth there no longer remains a sacrifice of sins for sins but a terror or a fearful or terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries You see this this leads us to our discussion of church membership You might have asked, why have I spent so much time on this? I want you to know that God has provided a means by which we can accomplish these things. He has provided the church. He has made us members of the body of Christ. He didn't save you to leave you on an island by yourself, unprotected from the ravages of this world. Just last week, in an article on the Cripplegate blog, Eric Davis writes this, He's writing about the subject of apostasy. It's on everybody's mind. He says this, Other lessons are to be learned in the tragedy of apostasy. Some include learning to trust God, pray, draw together as a church, continue to affirm His goodness, and all the more, and the, all the more importance of corporate gatherings. That's the answer, beloved. That's the answer. This danger of falling away is answered by just coming to church. Doing what God has asked and commanded us to do. You see, in these troubling times, the church is the true believer's embassy in enemy territory. Several years ago, I was traveling to Mexico and I had flown into El Paso and and a driver picked us up to drive us into Juarez. and, And somehow in my fly during my flight, I lost my driver's license, and so I get in the car and I realize that I don't have my license, and I'm frantically searching, and I, I told the driver I don't have my ID, and and he said, "Oh, you don't need your ID to get into Mexico," and and I'm like, "Okay," and so and so we came around the bend and we saw the border crossing, and on each side of the border border crossing were these foreboding concrete walls that that. And right in front we see the sign that welcomes to us to Mexico. And, and, and at, at that exact moment, the driver chuckled. He said, you don't need your ID to get in, but you might need it to get out. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I was in a foreign country with no identification. In a sense, I was in an enemy territory separated from family with no way to make it home. But, as you guys all know, our country provides embassies to help Americans who are on foreign soil, right? So I can, I can go to these out, one of these outposts in foreign territory where I can get help and protection when I need it in a time of trouble. You see, my, my mistake turned out to be okay. Back then, you could talk your way back across the border, so I was able to talk to the border agent and tell him what happened, and he let me back across, thankfully. But if I had I needed it, I could have visited an an embassy to gain the necessary paperwork to get back across. You see, beloved, Christ has provided His church as that protection in a foreign land. We are in enemy territory, beloved, but our citizenship is in heaven. And when God saves you, He doesn't automatically extract you from behind enemy lines. He leaves you here to take His message, the gospel, to the enemy. How amazing is that? And He doesn't leave you without protection. He doesn't leave you without protection. He places you into the body of Christ, the church, and He expects you to publicly identify with His people. And we all know these things. We all see, we all see them. We We've Probably most of us have participated in them. But we do this through baptism. So when we become... A believer, we are baptized, and we, we do this through public commitment to a local church. We also do this in a few few minutes, we're going to partake in communion. So every, every month we partake in communion. This is a demonstration of that, that we, are, we identify with the cross of Christ. And we also do this when we subject ourselves to the church's accountability or church discipline. Now, three weeks ago, we started to look at four arguments for membership in the local church. Let's look at the let's look at the first one very quickly. There are irreproachable bases. This is the plural of basis. Beloved, our basis for church membership is found in the scriptures. As we said, as we said three weeks ago, the problem with an implicit teaching of of Scripture, is that you have to be willing to see it. In other words, the Bible teaches membership of of the local church, but it doesn't say, you shall be a member. So we have to see it in, in in the implicit teaching of Scripture. In Matthew 28, Jesus commands His followers that they are to make disciples of all the nations. You see, this is a command to make disciples that must be followed. According to Jonathan Lehman, then, Church membership is a formal relationship between a church and a Christian, a Christian c- characterized by the church's affirmation and oversight of a Christian's discipleship and the Christian's submission to living out his or her discipleship in the care of the church. End quote. You see, therefore, church membership is a integral part of making and teaching disciples of our Lord. Now, I believe the best argument for there being an established membership of the local church is found in Hebrews 13. Turn over to chapter 13. So just to reiterate, Jesus commanded us to make disciples. The church makes disciples. We need to be a member of the church submitting to the church's authority in order to be a disciple of Christ. Now look at Hebrews 13. Now remember, the writer is concerned that some will fall away from Christ to avoid persecution. And listen to what he says in verse 17. Hebrews 13:17, "Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for them. The Greek word translated give an account has the idea of meeting a contractual obligation to pay or to pay out. In other words, your leaders, the church's leaders, have an obligation that is like a contract to give account for you before the Lord. Now let me ask you a question. It's a serious one. How can I or any leader in the church give an account for saints who have not publicly committed to the church and their leadership? Can't. I wouldn't know who's in and who's out. You see, we all know the answer to that question. The leader must know which sheep he's responsible for. Let's look at the the second argument for church membership. There are iniquitous barriers. Let me me remind you of a few barriers to joining a church. First, we said lawless individualism. And secondly, legalistic authoritarianism. And thirdly, commitment phobia. Now, let me just give you a brief definition of each of these. Lawless individualism is uh, our fight for independence. We don't want to be dependent, and we don't want to be held accountable. But as Christians, we must recognize that God did not design us in this way. He designed us to be—he he designed us to be a dependent people. He designed us for a community. Therefore, we have to fight against these tendencies. You can't do anything in life without help from someone else. I hope you realize that. I mean, you have to you you have to have others. And it's especially true in the church. It's especially true when it comes to your salvation. You can't grow as a Christian on your own. You can't be independent. And you have to be held accountable. The second barrier to church membership is legalistic authoritarianism. And some of you have convictions that I don't have and vice versa. The problem comes when we, when we apply our personal convictions to others in the church when those convictions are not one of the clear commands of Scripture. I would say that was the biggest problem with Joshua Harris, is that he saw a formula, and he thought if I do this formula, then I'll be successful in my marriage. That I, If I do this thing, I'll, it'll all work out for me, and, and it becomes a series of formulas. If I do this, then this will happen. But that's not Christianity. That's not following Christ. Beloved, there's a real danger when we exceed what God has said because it can be a real cause of stumbling for people. We have to stick with what the Word of God said. We can't add to nor take away, right? Do not add to or take away. I think we sometimes forget about that add to. But that's one of our biggest problems. But here's the thing, God does not give us, give us this as an out. He doesn't say, oh, people are going to be overly really zealous, you shouldn't join a church. No, He says He wants us to join a church. We're called to join with the body of Christ. It's, not, a, it's not, a, not an argument, or it's not a good argument. Third barrier is commitment phobia. Some of you don't want to make a commitment. You might be looking for something better to come along. You're fearful of being tied down. You might be looking for something better to come along, or you're fearful to be tied down. Either way, you stay on the fringes of the church rather than fully committing to the body. Here's the thing. If God has saved you, don't you think He's committed to you? Yes. Absolutely. Christ died for you. Christ died for His church. He laid His life down for you, and He wants you to commit to Him and beloved, and to his church. This leads us to the third argument for church membership. Let me. These are, there are innumerable benefits. There are innumerable benefits. Let me quickly give you a few benefits of membership in the local church. Membership will, first, provide you the protection you need. We've seen that the church is our embassy on earth. It is the it is a fort in enemy territory. You are citizens of heaven if you are a believer, and membership on church, he, he, membership in a church here on earth is the antecedent of our men, er, of our citizenship in heaven. I messed that up. Let me say it again. Membership in a church here on earth is the antecedent to our citizenship in heaven, or realizing, or fully realizing our citizenship in heaven. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you're part of the church, you're sitting here with the saints. What do you think you're going to do in heaven for the rest of your of your existence? For the rest of eternity. You're going to be with the saints. (coughs) You know, when people immigrate to the U.S., they usually congregate with others who are from the same country. Even today, you know, the, the immigration that happened in the 19th and 20th century. Even today, you can, when you travel the country, you see all the marks of these different cultures. You go to a different, you know, go to certain and and you can see the culture where they're from. Why do they do this? First and foremost, for protection. For protection. Because they, they know people. Beloved, if you're a Christian, you need to be in church for protection. That's a benefit. We have a worthy adversary. He's trying to crush us. We need one another for protection. Secondly, secondly, proffer you the second benefit. It proffers you the lifelong friendships that you desire. Proffers you the lifelong friendships you desire. Let me remind you of the early days of the church. The believers had everything in common. In Acts 2:42, they were committed to fellowship. This type of of commitment, beloved, forges friendships for a lifetime. Angie and I have been members of several different churches in our past, and we have many dear friendships because of our commitment to these churches. We literally, beloved, have friendships all over this earth. Every corner of this globe we know people, and they're good friends because of our memberships, because of our commitment to the local body of, of Christ. I'm amazed. When I see when I look at Facebook and I see where where people are and it's it's just amazing to me that what God has done we can have those friendships or we can we can have those friendships without commitment the commitment of membership but there's nothing nothing like and there's something special about covenanting with a group of people in a local church. Jonathan Lehman says this. The relationships we share in the local church will ultimately prove more interconnected than a physical body, more safe than a father's embrace, more collegial than brotherly love, more resilient than a stone house, more holy than a priesthood, and on and on we could go. End quote. You want true friends? Commit to the local church. Commit. Become a member. Friends for a lifetime, friends for eternity, actually. Third, give me, or it'll give you more ministry opportunities, which will fulfill you. In our day and age, beloved, we must carefully vet people for service in the body. Whether it be handling of funds, or whether it be whether it be uh, nursery work, uh, you mu- you need to be a committed member of our church. And we certainly need you to be a member of our church if you're going to teach, preach, and lead music. You see, in today's age, with nursery care, we have to be careful to have the right people. Make sure that we don't have the wrong people taking care of the the children. We have to be careful to make sure that we have the right people doing the right things, that we know who they are, that they are committed to our Lord Jesus Christ. Fourth benefit, it affords you helpful services. As the church grows, I hope that we'll see some people get married. But I can't perform a wedding for your family if you're not a member of this church. That may sound harsh, but the truth is is that we're opening ourselves up to the accusation of discrimination if we would marry anyone. If we... If we turn people away for, uh, for reasons other than being a member, then there accusa- could be an accusation of discrimination, and, we're, and there's a liability to that. So if you, wanna, if you want to be married in this church, you need to be a member. You need to be a member if you want to use... We don't have a building and grounds, but, but it's the same idea. We need, to be, we need to be careful as to who gets to use what we have. Fifth, fifth benefit, it offers you loving accountability, beloved. This is truly a benefit of the church. God uses accountability of the body as a powerful tool in molding you into the image of His Son. Just think through these verses in Hebrews. In Hebrews twelve five, it says this: My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by Him. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. And He scourges every son whom He receives. We need the loving discipline of the Lord, and He does so through accountability of the church. Let's look at the last argument very quickly. There are incredible burdens... There are incredible burdens. Beloved, you are obligated as a church member to perform the one another's. Let me give you a few of those from Scripture. You are to be at peace with one another, Mark 9.50. You are to be devoted to one another in brotherly love and honor one another above yourselves, Romans 12.10. You are to live in harmony with one another, Romans 12.16. You are not to pass judgment on one another, Romans 14.13 You are to ex- accept one another as just as Christ has accepted you, Romans 15.7 You are to carry each other's burdens and, and in this way you are to fulfill the law of Christ, Galatians 6.2 You are to speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, that's Ephesians 5.19 You are to submit to one another according to Ephesians 5.21 you are to encourage one another and build each other up, according to 1 Thessalonians 5:11. You are to consider, and we saw this earlier, how to spur one another on toward love and good deeds according to Hebrews 10:24. And you are to encourage one another according to Hebrews 10:25. Beloved, you can do the one another's without being a member of the body, of the local body. But membership obligates you. It obligates you and me to a specific group of people. And if I commit to a certain group of people, a specific group of people, I am obligated to them. And those obligations, my obligation to them, forces me to work through any differences that may arise. It forces me to. Therefore, I grow, or we grow, as we work through our differences. We grow as our weaknesses are revealed as we relate to others. What happens is, if I don't commit... Then I so easily just walk away. And do do either one of us grow if we walk away? We don't. We don't. Therefore, commitment gives us great burdens. We are to bear one another's burdens, right? Galatians 6. But it's so good. So good. Let me end quickly here by summarizing the reasons for church membership. I believe that we've seen church membership as biblical. I believe that we've seen that it is essential to the orderliness of the church. I believe that we've seen that membership delineates the church and the world. We've seen that membership helps The leaders know who they are responsible for. Membership also causes the local church to reflect the invisible church. Membership also promotes your involvement. Not just in service, but also your involvement in each other's lives. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to introduce to you some families or some members, some new members. If you're interested in becoming a member of the church, we encourage you. I would encourage you to come talk to me, and we'll work through that. Uh, Like I say, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to introduce some some new members. I hope that this has helped you see the importance of the—not just the importance— can't think of another word. It's the, It could be the difference between being a Christian who perseveres and being a Christian who falls away. I hope you've seen that. I hope you understand it. Let, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning again. I know I've gone long and maybe struggle to say what I needed to say, but I trust, Lord, that you would use this time. I trust, Lord, that you would have used these two sermons on membership to convince our people that they need to commit to the church, to your church. Our Lord, you died for the church. Shed your own blood. Lord, as we enter communion now, time of observing the Lord's Supper, I do pray that we would ready our hearts for our time of remembering your death on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.